Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Roka Report podcast in association with the Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav back to talk about. Sunderland's 2-2 draw at the Stadium of Light with Queen's Park Rangers. It was a bit of a topsy-turvy mental game, ended in the most Sunderland way possible. But um, it would be boring if we weren't boring, wouldn't it? Um, Join me today is Martin. Hello, mate. Hello, Gav. And also with me is Phil West. Hi, Phil. Hi, Gav. Let's get straight into it then, Martin. Sunderland drew twos each with Queen's Park Rangers on Saturday. We had what I would call a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde um, performance from Sunderland in that half time we were cruising and then full time I'm walking out the stadium depressed deflated angry everything really it was just a it was mental wasn't it like what a way to end a game I mean no nobody listened to this probably nobody listened to this uh, won't have seen what happened in the game but just to take them through it Ross Stewart got a goal on 31 minutes um I think it was Pritchard had a shot didn't he and it Deflected back into Stuart. Daniel. Deflected into the path of Ross Stewart, who took it away nicely. Then just before half time, uh, ball goes to Ellis Sims and he does what he's done since he came to Sunderland and he sticks it in the back of the net. 2 0 at half time. We're stood with a pint downstairs in the southwest corner thinking Sunderland's going to win this four or five, the way things were flowing, but it wasn't to be. Three minutes to go. Uh, QPR score a free kick and we'll come on to the actual ins and outs of how it led to that point but the free kick uh, great hit to be fair Patterson couldn't have really done a great deal and then right at the death in injury time we concede a corner it goes back out for another corner ball comes into the box and it's QPR's goalkeeper who gets the final touch and it flicks into the top corner past Anthony Patterson and we drop another two points at home so Martin your thoughts on (laughs) what you saw well, where to begin, eh? It um, it just reminds me of, of uh, Mark Poom's equaliser mm-hmm. for, for us mm-hmm. against Derby. I remember being in your way on that day, and that was um, one of the highlights of um, my Sunderland support in life, I think, that, that day, just the feeling of, of the keeper scoring. But um, it was a, it was really weird, wasn't it? Because, we, as you say, we were in total control in the first half. You know, we didn't dominate as much in the second half. I actually watched the second half back again this morning just to see where we actually went wrong because to me watching it we were kind of we were in control and we didn't have as much control in the in the second half but we were in control we could have got a third um had a few opportunities to do so and I think like the free kick that they had I think that was only their second shot in target in, in the whole game so it wasn't as if we were you know being peppered by shots left, right and centre and Patterson mm. was pulling off save after save. It just I, I just didn't see it coming at all. But no. you know it was. I actually think we played well, and I think you know Alex Nielsen after the game. You know the two goals that we conceded aren't like structural problems in you know we're not being cut open. They were both set pieces, and sometimes you just have to go. You know what? That's football. Sod's law. Yeah, and it's yeah. a point, and we you know it's not what we wanted. It's not what we should have had, but it's not the end of the world. No, Phil, would you echo those thoughts? Uh, I would, yep. First half, Gav, we played brilliantly. Played him off the park, loads of energy, loads of aggression, loads of dynamism in the play, moving the ball fantastically well. Stewart and Sims causing mayhem. We're 2-0 up at half-time, cruising. Absolutely no danger at all. Second half, even in the start of the second half, we started reasonably well. We kept on the front foot. We were trying to make things happen, force opportunities. 
And then, obviously, Sims goes off, which I'm sure we'll come on to later on in the podcast. That might have kind of blunted us to a certain extent. Um, and then we just seem to kind of lose... I wouldn't say we totally lost control of the game in the way we did against Coventry, but we just seemed to kind of... The conviction seemed to seep out of our play a little bit, and we just started to drop a little bit deeper, started to invite them onto us a little bit more. And then, yeah, the, the, the two goals that we conceded were absolutely gut-wrenching. I mean, it's a great free kick, without a doubt. You know, The thing is, if we make that tactical foul 20 yards further up the pitch... It probably doesn't come to anything. The equalising goal—it was a freak occurrence, wasn't it? You know, one of those things that you just wouldn't—you wouldn't bank on happening. And it was a get-out-of-jail job from QPR. But what I would say, Gav, is that again, there was plenty of evidence over the course of the ninety minutes that we're not out of our depth in this division. The players are stepping up quite well. They're looking as if they belong at this level, and we're not struggling to create chances and score goals. And as Martin said, the issues that we are currently facing can be fixed. They're not, you know, necessarily fatal issues. So. Again, I think it was your classic mixture of some positives and some negatives as well. But yeah, again, you know, overall, I think, would we have taken five points from the first three league games, given what was said before the season about the squad strength, etc., etc.? I think we would have, but I think it's a, I think it shows how different the expectations are now that we're actually might be slightly disappointed with that. So yeah, I, th- I thought it was, it was an interesting game. It was a really good game to watch, but just a bit of a sickness to concede those two goals later on. Yeah, well, QPR, to be fair, are a decent team. We said this when we previewed it through yeah. the week. You know, I think um, some of the stats before the game, you can take this if you want. I don't know whether they mean anything, but Queen's Park Rangers were prior to the game unbeaten in six against us. Um, they obviously beat Middlesbrough last weekend, which is a good win for them because Middlesbrough are most people's favourites to win the league. So they're no mugs, like I said, you know, just before the game in the, the pod we did. They're no mugs and... I think you're right, Phil, that the, the, the key point I just took from what you said there is Sunderland have came into the championship. It's very, very early days, but we've came into the championship and we've more than held our own against teams who are established, decent sides at this level. So, and and, and the big worry was like, will we score goals? Well, we haven't we haven't struggled. What, what we've struggled to do is keep it out at the other end, which is some, a problem we didn't have last season. Sort of Under Alex Neal, we kept quite a lot of clean sheets. So I'm more than confident that with a bit of time, with a couple of more signings, that won't be a problem. You know, you, you can iron those things out. The the worry um, prior to the season was, is Ross Stewart's form from League One going to be able to translate into the Championship? Well, he, you know, he's, he's scoring goals. Um, the, 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 we'll, we'll come straight on to this as we sort of go through the game. The, the big moment early in the game was Dan Ballard coming off and... It looked like a, an impact injury. I think it was a Doma, the QPR winger. Ah, it was. A bit, bit late. Yeah. How he didn't get a, a card for it, I don't know, by the way. Just yeah. sort of play carried on. And it, it took a while for the ball to go out. It was one of our players who had to put it out in the end. Yeah. Um, but the ref just let play carry on from that point. Um, it looks like Ballard's, we don't know for definite sort of time scales. Maybe by the time this pod goes out, it'll be clearer. But it didn't sound good, did it, Martin, when... Uh, when Alex Neal was talking about it after the game, he was talking as though he's probably going to be out quite a while. Sounded like it, doesn't it? And I'm not sure whether it was a, a foot. I thought it was a foot injury at the time, but whether it was a knee or what, we we don't really know what the um the actual injury is. But I think it looked, Alex like, it looked like a foot to me just by the way he was walking and hobbling. It, it wasn't like the type of the tackle yeah. as well. He kind of made an impact on his foot. But whether his knee got caught or his studs got caught and he twisted, um, I, I don't know, but. It's um, Alex Neal said after the game that he'd gone straight to the um, to the hospital, which is obviously a concern in itself, um, and it's it's a real blow because he's he's start, you know he's only what two and a half games into his his Sunderland career, but he, he looks a good player, he looks com- comfortable on the ball, he's a good defender, and you know the only saving grace is this has happened now. If it is a long term injury, the only saving grace has happened now. And not in two and a half weeks' time when the transfer window was shut. Because I yeah, don't think yeah. we would have brought in another right sided um centre half yeah. in the next couple of weeks, but I think we'll have to now. Yeah, what do you think, Phil? Are you are you concerned? So I know we, we it's hard to say at the minute when it comes to time scales what the actual injury is, but it does sort of force our hand a bit in the transfer market, doesn't it? It means we've probably got to now go and get another centre half. Yeah, without a doubt, Gavin. I have to say, I think Ballard's been absolutely magnificent so far this season. He's he's, he's strode through the game so far. He's had a few hairy moments, particularly against Coventry. He was a bit over eager at times, 
Um, but I think he's been an absolutely fantastic addition, Gav. He's looked solid. He's been mature. He's been composed. He's been a real rock in the heart of that defence. And if he is out for you know medium term, medium long term, that is definitely a blow. And I have to say, I thought that Luke O'Neill did a stellar job when he came on yesterday he did. in defence. Yeah. I thought he did. You know, again, he showed that versatility and that adaptability that is the hallmark of his game. And I thought he he, he did really well. But yeah, I, I I would agree with Martin that you know if if it is you know we're kind of fortunate and that we do have some time left in the transfer window to bring in additions. If so, you know if if we need them. Um, but yeah, I, I, it is a blow, Gav, because he, like I said, he's been such a, a, a good player for us so far. Um, and he's really taken it to Sunderland very, very well. So hopefully, you know, if he is going to be out, it's going to be, you know, for the shortest time possible and we can get him back as soon as we can. Yeah, you, you mentioned Luke O'Neill there and Alex Neal was asked about that change, wasn't he, after the game? Because even people around me, quite a few people were like, hey, he's bringing on O'Neill when we've got two centre-halves on the bench. And yeah. my, th- my feeling was, well, they've got um, Dykes up front, QPR, who is good in the air. And if I look at sort of Bailey Wright, I wouldn't say his strength is necessarily in the air. Uh, and Alicia is left-footed and he wasn't going to go on the right of the defence. So my my thinking was he's done it purely to deal with that sort of physical presence. Um, but he he was asked about it after the game and he explained it away pretty well. He It was straightforward, really. He just said, you know, Bailey's strengths are pretty much the same as Danny Bart. And if he was going to come on, it would be down the middle. And obviously, Adji Alicia, he's left-footed. So if he was going to come on, it would probably be for Dennis Serkin in the system. So... Uh, Luke O'Neill is is comfortable in that position. That's why I brought him on. And you're right, he, he played well, didn't he, Martin O'Neill? It's probably out of the what four games we've played so far this season. That's the best he's played, I would say, in defence. And quite a lot of people actually said, didn't they, that, like a year or so ago, that they felt that Luke O'Neill's best position was in at centre half, or at least he played some of his best football for Sunderland in defence. And again, he didn't let himself down, did he? No, I thought he played really well, and I must have, like I, I wasn't surprised when he came on. I just thought it kind of made complete sense because Ballard's like the footballing defender out of the three of them, isn't he? He's the one who gets on the ball and plays passes and tries to, to make things happen from the back. And O nine out of the three of the um, centre halves on the bench, O nine's the one who's more likely to to do it. And like I, I do think that's his best position. I think he's he's better when he's got. You know, less time to think about things, and he's actually reacting to situations rather than trying to make things happen. Um, and I think he's he's done well. You know, he made a great tackle in the second half, didn't he? When he came over to the the left hand side, and he he slid on on, on their lad going down down the wing. So, but I, I think he's a good he's a good player. He never lets us down. You, you know, you know what you get with him, don't you? And there's some yeah, yeah there's some rough edges to his game, but there's also some some bits of quality. And I think um, I think he did really well yesterday. Yeah, it was. Interesting, after the game, reading that we, we had more possession of the ball. I think that's the first time that's happened to us this season, isn't it? Where where we've actually yeah, shaded the possession. Just mind, it was only 52% of us, 48 of them. But 16 shots, 8 of them were on target. We we made more passes. Our, our pass and accuracy was better than theirs. So it, it does tally up with what we saw, you know. Everything that we're saying is is pretty much true. Some of them were, the, particularly in the first half, the better team, Phil. And that led to the yeah. first goal, didn't it? And we were I think we were good value for our lead at that point. I think we we probably deserved it, didn't we? I thought we were magnificent in the first half, guys. You know, as, as we said earlier, you know, there was it was we played really, really well. It was it was a fantastic first half performance. You know, we really took it to them um from the off. You know, we were we were really getting in their faces. And I have to say, I think I think special praise has to go to Corey Evans because I thought he was absolutely immense yesterday. Yeah. I th- I was yeah. to be honest with you, I was surprised at just how good he was because he'd had a bit of a ropey game against Bristol City last week when we really did lose control of that midfield at times. But I thought yesterday his performance was absolutely fantastic, as was Dan Neal. And I think Dan Neal really deserves praise as well because he he really looks to be rebuilding his confidence now. You know, I think Neil's the kind of player who does play best when his head's up, when he's buoyant, when he's feeling good about himself and when he's got the time and the space to make things happen. And I thought yesterday was a really good example of that. I thought he was fantastic. But yeah, the first half, Gav, it, it was an excellent performance. You know, it was, it was everything that... that, that we know this team is capable of when we bring it all together and when we can put our A game onto the pitch. And yeah, the, the, the halftime lead, the 2-0 lead, was fully merited. I don't think anybody could have had any qualms about that, without a doubt. No. Stuart took his goal fairly well. Martin, I know it was a fortunate, it was fortunate how it felt to him, but you've still got to put them away, haven't you? Bit of a poor chance goal. Well, you have and you, you know, you've got to be on your toes and react to, to things and follow them, follow the ball in. And he, 
he anticipated the shot, followed it in, and he got a couple of yards ahead of anybody else who was around him to, to tap it away. And, you know, it's it's nice to see Ross Stewart get that sort of goal where we're, just, you know, we're going to need him to do that this season, aren't we? Just those scrappy ones that he's in the right place at the right time and he's just that Johnny on the spot to, to knock it in. So, no, it was good to see him get a, another goal and, you know, that, that'll, that'll give him confidence as well, won't it? Because he'll have come into the season full of confidence, but, you know, you've been tested at a new level. You don't know how, how you're going to do. And for him to get two goals in three games um, is a great start of the season for him. Yeah. have to say, Phil, the atmosphere was brilliant yesterday, wasn't it, at the game? Like, oh, fantastic. Even yeah. beforehand, it was it was nice to see, wasn't it, when you... Like, I walked into the ground and I, I hadn't really kept an eye on sort of how many tickets had been sold for the game, but it looked full in the lower bowl. Yeah. And all you could yeah. see was red and white. It was like a proper... It reminded yeah. us of when we beat Tottenham when Chopra scored at the end. And yeah. I always think back... Yeah. Always think I sticks out in my mind about that game was just the, the amount of red and white in the crowd and it felt like yeah. it, it did it felt like it was going to be a special afternoon for us just the way that the feeling around the place and, and the atmosphere everyone was in good spirits I think because the sun was out that people yeah. might have made a bit more of an effort with sort of you know even just going out for a couple of beers before the game which helps get people for the yeah. game doesn't it so it was a, it was a good atmosphere and it definitely contributed in the first half didn't it oh it was fantastic Gavin I have to say you know the, the wider point about this is that Going to the stadium right now is is an enjoyable experience again because we're actually seeing some good quality football being played, both by us and the opposition, certainly this season. Mm. And yeah, I thought the atmosphere yesterday was absolutely, even before the game, just walking around the outside of the stadium, you know, everyone was upbeat, everyone was buoyant, they were excited about the game. And then, you know, when you get inside, you know, in the, you know, the 20 minutes to go, 15 minutes to go, 10 minutes to go to kick off and the players are warming up, there's a really good reception for them when they come out. And then obviously the pre-match music begins, the flag display... Everything is just starting to feel so much more upbeat in the stadium now. It's, it's an enjoyable place to be, you know. And I have to say as well, I think, I, I hope, I'd like to think that Ready to Go is now kept permanently as our walkout music because that is working fantastically well. That is a throwback to the to the early days at the stadium, like when it really was a fortress, when teams really didn't want to come up there here. So I hope they do keep that moving forward. But yeah, I'm fully with you on that, Gav. I thought the atmosphere was absolutely fantastic. And hopefully, and I think they will, there's, there's no reason why we can't maintain that for the majority of the season. Yeah, and that good feeling carried on in towards the end of the first half, didn't it, Martin? And we got that second goal. It was, again, a touch of fortune in the build-up to it. Um, but I think Sims does really well. He sort of latches on the long ball, doesn't he? He nods it down to, to Alex Pritchard and knocks it down to him. And then as Pritchard's probably about to pass it anyways, the QPR defender slides in, plays it straight into Sims' feet, and he didn't, <laughs> he didn't need to be asked twice to put that away. It, it, you know, great finish. He put it to the... Sort of the keeper's right, and the goalkeeper yeah. made himself big. It was a brilliant finish. Like I think, when you consider the fact that it was a lucky deflection, so he couldn't have really been anticipating it. Um, the defender is stuck tight to him, and the goalkeeper has already narrowed the angle down by about yeah. two or three yards. How he manages to put it right across the goalkeeper in the bottom corner is fantastic. And I'm looking at him, and I'm like wondering why the hell did Everton give him to us? When they can't put a striker on the pitch in the Premier League and they've sent this kid to us who, yeah, fair enough, lack of experience. But if I was an Everton fan watching him, I'd be fuming because he's, you can see he would score goals in the Premier League if you gave him chances. I've got it's, no doubt about that. It's strange, isn't it? Because as you say, with Everton not having any strikers, you'd have thought that he's worth a bloody shot, wouldn't you? And he, um, at least till the end of the window. Well, you know, that's it right. wasn't you know, them out at the end of the window if you've got. I mean, I'm not complaining by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I can't get my head round it. No, it's, it's strange. It doesn't quite make sense, does it? Um, but look, he, he looks a natural goal scorer. He looks a, a really sharp finisher. He took the ball, you know, one touch out of his feet, slotted it away beautifully. Great sort of pinpoint finish. And you know, as we've said um, after the Chef Wet game when we were talking about the the Bristol City game. You know, he, he does look like a you know, he is a striker who gets the shots off quickly, gets them out of his feet. He looks a good finisher. Um and you know, we've seen that in, in the last two games, haven't we? And you know, three goals in his first um two games for the club. Great to get off the mark at the stadium alight as well as um getting his, his two goals last weekend. And you know, you can see he's gonna be just a big crowd favourite because he he does yeah. all of the stuff that you, you want a good striker. He's kinda of got a bit of everything, hasn't he? He can, yeah. He's good in the air. He can hold the ball up. He can link play. He can finish. He's fast. Like he's, he's an all round. He's got everything. He's he's a really good all round striker, and he links up with Stewart really well. 
already. He's got a nice understanding with Ross Stewart, which um, it probably changes Alex Neal's thinking a little bit for how he's going to play this season. Mm. Well, can you imagine, Phil, if you're one of them championship defenders and that's that's your prep to try and deal with these two? Like, I can't remember yeah. who it was who said that they felt Sunderland had one of the best attacks in the division. I think it might have been one of the guys from the second tier pod. Um, but it's hard to argue at the minute, isn't it? When you look at just the... I'm not even just... I'm not even bothered about the fact that neither of them are proven championship players. When you just look at them physically and the way that they play, they're both big lads, they both move a lot, they've both yeah. got a bit of pace, they've both got a fantastic first touch, they can both score goals. And then, in, particularly in Stewart's case, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can say this quite yet for Sims because I don't know enough about him, but Ross Stewart never stops. He never stops. No. Can you imagine yeah. being championship defenders having to deal with these two? Like, what, how do you even plan to play against strikers who play like that because they're, they're just in your face, aggressive, and frankly, just a total nightmare. <laughs> like I, yeah, I, I, I love watching them, it's great to watch. It's probably my favorite front two at Sunderland for a long time, and I'm only saying that after a handful of games. The way the ease with which Sims seems to have slotted in, and it's very important to remember that he will go through kind of dips in form when he's here. I think yeah, that like, that's inevitable for such a young player, but the signs that he's shown so far. In, in in the games he's played have been absolutely fantastic because you know as, as you two both said he's big he's strong he knows where the goal is he can shoot powerfully he holds the ball up well he's got pace he's quick off the mark him and Stewart are dovetailing absolutely beautifully at this moment in time and I think that this you know why Everton decided to let him go you know is is is, an, is a question that only they can answer you know but at the end of the day he's we, we've been looking enough to secure his services and I think we've secured an absolute diamond to be honest with you I really do. Um, but yeah, you know, regarding the partnership between Sims and Stewart, I think you know championship defences are going to be on notice now that these two are going to cause a lot of problems for them over the course of the season if they can both stay fit. Because you know we saw how Stewart in League One last season how he how he kind of bullied defences when he was on his game, even with his off the ball work as well when he was running in, you know, running the channels, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You bring Sims into the mix now to work with him. And you've got yourself a very, very potent strike force there. Without a doubt, they're going to be very, very productive, those two. Um, and they seem to have... What interests me is that, you know, and I'm sure you two probably agree with this, the best strike partnership, certainly at Sutherland, have an instant understanding of how each other plays. You know, we saw it with Quinn and Phillips. They knew how they played and they could they could feed off each other. It's early days with Simpson Stewart, but they seem to have developed a really good understanding of each other's style of play. And they really do mm-hmm. seem to be complementing each other absolutely beautifully. So... Yeah, I think that he's he's been a fabulous addition so far. He looks the part. He's got confidence, which I like as well. He really walks. I was watching him walking around yesterday, and he was really kind of you know chest out, head up, really looking as if he belonged and if he was relishing being here. So yeah, I think they're going to be very very good, Governor. I have to say that I think we need to give them credit for bringing Sims to the club because he looks like a very very good addition, without a doubt. Yeah, and then that's probably where the the sort of positivity ended from a Southern perspective because at half time. Um, QPR bring on Tyler Roberts for Adoma, the guy who injured Ballard and I actually thought Roberts played really well um, his movement caused a lot yeah, of issues he wasn't problems, he? he wasn't really playing like a centre forward he was dropping in and sort of linking up and running at us and that totally changed the way that QPR played and it inevitably led to a period where they were on top and I think that's probably why Alex Neal brought off Ellis Sims after an hour or so I don't know whether he could just see the flow of the game changing slightly. I know he's talked a, a, a bit, hasn't he, uh, Martin, about Ellis Sims, the fact that he he didn't play a lot of football in pre-season and then we've basically thrown him straight in. So I think he, he got nearly a full game at Bristol, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and he's he's only getting an hour here. Maybe, maybe with one eye on Wednesday, I don't know whether after an hour he's looking 2-0. I can probably afford to take him off and put somebody else on. But one of the criticisms when I was listening to BBC Newcastle after the game from from one of the callers was that he felt that bringing Sims off gave QPR some impetus and that, all right, they took somebody off now so we can maybe afford to commit more numbers into midfield. And I think Alex Neil talked about this after the game as well, about how Cher sort of changed position and it led to us dealing with more numbers around the box, which we inevitably struggled with. Did Do you think that, that's, do you think in hindsight he would change his mind bringing off Sims or at the time did it feel like the right change to make? I think in hindsight, he probably would do something differently because it didn't work. So I think, yeah. you know, you, you might leave him on for another 10 minutes and see if you can get the third goal. At the time, again, I kind of thought it made 
so I could see the logic in it. Anyway, I think Sims fitness wise, I think it would be a risk to leave him on for the ninety, especially with a, a big game um, coming on on Wednesday. So I think you know he's he's behind on his fitness. So get get an hour into his legs um, on on Saturday. I think the the other thing was that they were obviously starting to have a bit of possession, and it was getting to that point in the game where they were going to have to make a, a or take a risk rather, make a bit more of a commitment in terms of numbers going forward. And I kind of just thought Patrick Roberts on the wing with his pace and his trickery, he put him on to try to get them on the break to get the third goal. So I think he was kind of going, okay, there's half an hour left. They're going to have to start coming at us now if they're going to have any chance of getting it back into the game. And he, I think he chose Roberts to come on to to try to spring them. So it kind of made sense. And look, Roberts actually got into a couple of good positions where he could have had got the third goal. There was one that he he just whipped past the um, the far post, wasn't it? He cut inside. Yeah. And um, I thought that was in. I thought it was just going to see it nestle in the top corner, but it just flew wide. And look, if that goes in, you're going, <laughs> great substitution. You've managed Sims well, wrapped the game up. Tick, 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 haven't you? You know, you were an inch the wrong side of the post from it happening. Yeah. And the other subs that were made in the game, um, a lot of people feel and felt at the time that they were made a bit too late. I think Bailey Wright and Elliot Embleton were stood on the side waiting to come on for a good 10 minutes before they actually did, Phil. And yeah. we brought them on after they got their first goal, which let's just talk about that a little bit. You, you mentioned it before. In the build-up, I, I thought it was Dan Neil, but did you see... Felt it was Lynn and Gooch. I think it was two of them. I think Dan Neal maybe got him from behind and Gooch came in yeah. from the side and took him out. Well, it was Gooch who conceded the foul in the end. I know that. Yeah. But I, th- I think it was Dan Neal in the build-up who... It, it's all right saying this with hindsight because we conceded from it. But yeah, he probably had two opportunities that I can think of to bring him down. And that's maybe where like a bit of experience would have probably counted. Yeah. Maybe a, maybe yeah. a more experienced player would have made that foul earlier. I'm not going to pin any blame on Dan Neal, by the way. I just think if you're sitting looking at it and the the you know the, the manager and the team will look back at the goals and they'll probably say the same. They'll probably look and go, well, you know, you've got to maybe take a risk there, take the card and bring them down, and you know, yeah. we'll see the game out from that point. But anyways, we concede the free kick, and to be fair, it wasn't it wasn't exactly like easy, was it? The position that he took the free kick from it was still a way out. And chair stands over it, and I mean, could Patson couldn't have done really much about that, Phil? Could he? No, not really. I mean, it was again. You know, Patson just seemed to be getting some strange criticism at times this season. You know, it's as if I, I don't know. It's as if because he's not a big name, quote unquote, that 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 people don't seem to have. You know, often people don't seem to have full confidence in. But I think he's been fantastic, and you're right. There's there's nothing he could do about that. Um, but I have to say, you know, when that when that free kick was lined up. Which seemed to take an age because there was a bit of shenanigans going on. Um, I just had this horrible sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach, thinking I've got a feeling this is going in the top corner. You know, sometimes <laughs> you see a free kick being lined up, and you just have this awful inkling that something's going to happen and that there's going to be a sting in the tail. And obviously there was, but again, you know, as you rightly point out, Gav, you know, a, a bit of a bit of you know experience and a bit more savvy, understanding where and when to commit that tactical foul. You know, that's what players like Dan Neal need to develop. And they will develop, but the more games they play at this level, the more experience they get, they'll start to understand those little nuances of where and when to commit to make the tactical foul, to reset, to take the card, to kind of stop the attack, etc., etc. Um, and again, I, I, as you rightly say, I don't think you can pin the blame on him for that. I think that was just one of those little moments where it can go either way. But yeah, you know, they get the goal. It's a great free kick. It goes in the top corner. And then all of a sudden, the stadium starts to get a little bit jittery. Um, and I think it's at that moment in time that you really need your experienced players to really stand strong and say, look, lads, okay, they've scored, but the game's still there to be won. Let's just have confidence in ourselves. Let's be smart. Let's manage it. And I just felt we didn't do that, unfortunately. Um, and again, that's something that, that that it just shows how unforgiving this league will be because sometimes you might have got away with that in League One. You know, sometimes in League One, you make those errors and you get away with it. But in in the championship, the likelihood is that teams will punish you because you're against a higher calibre of opposition. So, yeah, you know, game management, again, we keep coming back to we're going to beat this thing to death before the season's out, I'm sure. But, you know, it is so, so key at this level to be smart, to be cunning, to know what to do in those high-pressure moments. And, again, that's an issue that's fixable. You know, it's not a terminal issue for us. You know, we just need to get out of that habit, really. Make sure that we're in those situations when the momentum goes against us, you can stand strong and you can deal with it. And that will come. I've got no doubt about that. 
There's a couple of things um, just to pick up on there. I think the the time it took for the, the two subs to come on, I think they eventually came on just after the goal was scored. Yeah. On the touchline, you could see they kept going back and forth, having yeah. different conversations with different people about who was going to go where and what they were going to do. And they kept changing their minds. And for about five yeah. or six minutes before the subs were made, or before the, the, the free kick was scored, there, there was so much conversation going on. They weren't actually sure what was what they were going to do, which um, when I was watching that, that concerned me because I'm like, they're reacting here and they don't know what the the, the planning or don't know what they're reacting to. Um, so that's a little bit of a concern for, for me. The other thing, and I don't know if you, you two picked up on this or saw it, Chair, before he took the free kick, um, obviously, Gucci had got a yellow card for the for the foul, and the referee had given the yellow card, and he looked down to write Gucci's name down, and Chair grabbed Gucci by the scruff of the neck, grabbed him around the throat, and if the referee had seen that, he would have been sent off. And yeah, he just yeah. looked away, glanced down at the wrong moment, and he was so lucky because he shouldn't have been on the pitch, scored the free kick, and then put the next cross in, which we'll come on to, because he was in, if he goes off then. We win the game 2 0. Yeah. Well, it just shows you, doesn't it? Sometimes you get a bit of luck, sometimes you don't. And yeah. literally just a glance away. There's no VAR in, nah, it was in the championship, second. so there's no way of seeing that back again. And it's just unfortunate, really. I'm sure there'll be there'll be occasions this season when it works in our favour, and there'll, there'll be occasions this season where it doesn't. Um it doesn't make it feel any better though, does it? You know. But no. I think I think to be fair, it was sort of QPR brought on a striker about 80 minutes in, didn't they? Um, young kid came on for a winger, which gave us something different to think about. And that's when I thought Wright was going to come on. Yeah. I thought, all right, they've, they've brought another striker on, so we might bring on a defender to try and deal with the fact that they're just going to have loads of numbers in the box. I think Alex Neal, the way he put it in his aftermatch, was the, the, the shape of the game had gone by that point because QPR were throwing everything at trying to get Well, it just three threw points. caution to the wind, hadn't they? Yeah, yeah, they're going for it, aren't they? Yeah. So, yeah, we waited until after the goal to bring the two players on. Embleton for Neil's a like-for-like, really. Um, I don't know whether that was just a case of get some fresh legs on or or what. Um, and Bailey Wright came on for Pritchard, which was another player out of the attack. So we didn't have Pritchard up there. We didn't have Sims up there. We were, we were you know, set our stall out at that point and saying, right, we're going to just defend for the rest of the game. Um, and we defended pretty well, to be fair, for all four or five minutes. And then... QPR get a corner. I think Patson put it behind, didn't he? And then a great save. they they got that second corner. And I think for being picky, it's difficult, really, because yeah, again, Alex Neal in his aftermatch said, "Well, at that point, they, they've got extra body in the box. It's someone else to something else to think about." And we're just unfortunate that the cross lands to him. He heads it and it goes in. Could have been anybody, really. Uh, it just feels sickening when it's a goalkeeper because you, you, it's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? Like it is, but at the same time, really, all it is is a cross has gone into the box. A six foot four footballer has jumped and it's hit him on the head and it's went in. You know, and yeah. that that can happen at any point in the game. It's just difficult, really, to comprehend when you're leaving the ground that you've dropped two points <laughs> to a goalkeeper scoring a header. But as you you pointed out before, Martin, I think at some point all clubs have experience that euphoria of watching a goalkeeper score late hey, in the game. You, yeah. I was just reading it. it's the first QPR goalkeeper ever to score. Well it would be, wouldn't it? I'm well, made a bit of history first, there. Is it the first <laughs> keeper to score at the stadium of light? I am um, struggling to think of another one. Why do I feel like there has been one? That's one for the that's one for the statos to dig out. Yeah. Somebody tweet us if if, if you can think of another occasion <laughs> where that's somebody happened. really obvious even, that we've Yeah. Or even at Roker Park if you can remember it happening. Probably less likely. It's only a modern thing, isn't it really like, 20, 30 yeah. years or so when mm. goalkeepers have gone forward. But yeah, so we concede the goal. It's disappointing to drop two points. We dropped two points late in the game against Coventry. We dropped two points late in the game against QPR. And um, I didn't actually hear this, but you might want to expand this, Martin, because we were talking about it off air. But Alex Neal was talking about his bench options, wasn't he? And when he looked yeah. to them, he didn't have a great deal to sort of bring on at that point in the game. Well, I, th- I think what you were saying was that there was a few players who were tired and you would like to have replaced them. But looking at the, the bench, he didn't have the players on the bench who could come and replace them. And, um, you know, I think that, in some respects, it's a bit daft when you've got so many subs available 
and you know, a few years, well, last season you had five, a few years before that you only had three. So, you know, we've got quite a luxurious um, thing at our disposal now, haven't we, with seven subs? But the fact is he doesn't think the squad is strong enough to see us through through games. And, you know, we, we've talked about it um, a couple of times, haven't we, recently, in terms of like the, the number of subs he's making when he could make five and he's been making two or three. And, you know, against Coventry, I think they used all five, didn't they? And that changed the game and got them back into the game. And he obviously doesn't feel confident in the, the depth of the squad to bring players on to change the game, to, you know, contain the game, to take more of a hold on the game. And, I th- you know, part of me thinks as well, it's just a little bit of a, a message being sent upstairs as well in terms, you know, we, we do need reinforcements. He's... It's showing um, by the fact he's not making subs that he certainly believes that we we need a couple of players in at least. And um, yeah, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see a few um, arrive over the next what twelve days, whatever it is. Yeah, the time's dwindling down now, Phil, isn't it? So there's going to be a bit of pressure on the recruitment team to get players in through the door. Um, yeah. I think before the window shuts, we've got four games, which shows how crammed the schedule is. You know, yeah. so we've got four games, and and it's if Alex Neal at this stage is looking at his bench and thinking I need more bodies on there, we've just lost Ballard, so there's another player down. Diak who's injured yeah. apparently, we are looking a little bit light in terms of quality, aren't we? And you know, we we've got two games this week. It's it's a case of do they sort of hold firm on players and wait till the the window sort of closes out, but risk the fact that we've only got this squad now till. We play Rotherham, which is we've got four games in that time. Do they have to push the button? Do you think on a couple of signings and get them in? I mean, I'm not I'm not particularly worried about the starting eleven, but you, you do have to admit that when you look to the bench and you're looking for options, it's, it it is a struggle at the minute. As Martin said, there, you know that we do have some quality on the bench, but we haven't got the greatest depth on the bench, so that is a problem. I mean, our first choice eleven, as we saw yesterday, is really really good, you know. But the problem is one or two injuries. And then all of a sudden, there might be that little bit of drop-off in quality when you have to bring someone on to replace them. So, yeah, we don't have the, the, the deepest squad in, in, in the world. We've known that for a while. You know, that's not new. We've known that for quite some time. Um, I would expect there to be work going on behind the scenes this week to bring those players in. I would be very surprised if, if, there, if there wasn't. There was a rumour, by the way. Wasn't, there was a rumour going round there was a player at the game. We don't know who. We don't know if it was true. Yeah. But that, that could mean something's pretty close. Hopefully, hopefully it's imminent. You undoubtedly do need... You know, to bolster the squad, so that when when Alex Neal is making any substitutions, we can bring on players who are of equal quality and who aren't kind of kind of come into the game and and, and kind of you know without disrupting the flow of things. So yeah, it, it is going to be vital. Um, like I said, I, I would be I would expect some movement this week. Um, I would be very surprised if there wasn't. But I don't, you know, on the other hand, I don't think Christian Speakman, you know, just on Martin's point there about sending a message, I'm not so sure that Christian Speakman necessarily needed to hear a message because I think he'll understand as well where the squad is lacking, you know, and it's his job to obviously bring those reinforcements in. So, yeah, I, I think that, you know, I, I don't think Neil will be, you know, panic-stricken because he's an experienced manager and he's been around the block, but I think he will be aware of the need to bring in those, you know, quality players who can give us that real depth that you need. Because as you said, Gav, the games are coming thick and fast. We are going to have to rotate as and when. There's no doubt about that because, we, you know, we don't want a repeat of that season where we were burning players out and then they've got nothing left, and then you start to have a dip in form and the team starts to suffer. So, yeah, I think there will be movement without a doubt. I think it's interesting because we saw the same last pre-season, didn't we, where you know we went into the, the first couple of games of the season. I think Dan Neal was at left back, and yeah. we had you know gaps all over the place, didn't we? And we've seen, and this is what gives me confidence, like we've seen from last season that they're prepared to wait and they won't be rushed into just filling gaps for the hell of it. They'll wait for the right players and they'll get the right players in. And, you know, there's not many who haven't worked with, you know, the signings since um, Speakman's come in and the the new recruitment team have come in. So, you know, they've got a good record. They've got some some credit. Um, But I think, you know, Alex Neal has been a bit frustrated with the amount of time it takes to get players in. We saw Lee Johnson get frustrated last preseason with the, um, the, the lack of players coming in. So... It's kind of, it's getting the right balance, isn't it? It's getting the players in for the games that we've got coming up, but making sure they're also the right players for the next 12, 18, 24, 36 months because ultimately that's that's the more important thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
so the the result in the end was twos each, and uh, we move on now. We've got a game midweek against Sheffield United away. That's they're not getting any easier. We've got Sheffield United, then we've got Stoke, then we've got Norwich. So yeah. the one thing is, is I'm pretty confident in in that sort of first 11, first 13 players or so that we've got enough to at least get through to the end of the month. And I just I just hope that, you know, we don't get any more injuries. That's the only thing. You know, Ballard yeah. getting injured is a big blow and I hope he's not out a long time. But he's been our sort of, he's been our biggest signing so far this summer, really. We brought him in because he's a very good player at this level. And if we're going to lose him for a significant amount of time, we have to find an adequate replacement fairly quickly. I know Luke O'Nine can do a job in that role, but at the same time, you want a, a top quality championship player in that position, don't you? Because especially when we're not yeah. keeping clean sheets and we're not we're not seeing games through, we, th- there's obviously something lacking there, and I think that's going to be that's going to be a bit of a, a dilemma for the recruitment team. In that they'll be looking at that now and thinking, mm, right, okay, maybe we were looking at a free agent or a loan. Maybe we actually have to think a bit beyond that now and go right. Do we need yeah. somebody in with a bit more quality than what we were perhaps? Maybe not a gamble like a young player coming in on loan from a Premier League team or whatever. Can we get someone a bit more established to play in there? But I guess it it all depends upon Ballard's injury, doesn't it? You know, if he's only yeah. going to be out for a month, they can probably afford to wait. But if he's going to be out for three months or four months, you know, we're going to have to sign another player because you you might as well accept the fact that you're not going to have him. Till sort of next year, then. So oh, that's right, it's gonna it's yeah. gonna be interesting to see where things go. One other thing I want to touch on, and it's it's becoming a massive issue, not just with us here, yeah, wrote report and, and stuff, but ticketing issues and customer service and the whole fan experience. Like we talked just before there about the atmosphere, it was brilliant, but that's the end stage, isn't it, for a fan? You sort of all these things you do leading up the game, you're then at the game, you're in the ground. Now for me, that's straightforward. I'm a season ticket holder. I renew every year, so I've got my season card. I didn't have to change it this year because I've got the same seat. So for me, my experience is pretty straightforward. I turn up at the ground, scan my ticket, I go in. Fine. But for a lot of fans, that's not the case. And for people who've either renewed and moved seats or they've bought season tickets for the first time in a few years or whatever, a lot of people still haven't got their cards yet, which is just mental to me, considering the first payments for these season tickets came out in May. I think it was. Yeah. So we're now talking like three, over three months later or whatever, people are still without cards that they should have had months ago. I've seen stories of people haven't had their seats sold by the club that they've had for years. I think Craig spoke to somebody, he was telling us that had basically had their, their seats sold from under them by accident or whatever, and they've had to move to a different seat. We've had people who live away from the northeast who going to away games haven't received their away tickets yet we've had issues from people who want to pay in cash and still can't and that's something that's a long-standing issue now i mean we i wouldn't be whinging about this if i wasn't seeing a a trend and a problem and our mailbox is just full at the minute with people emailing us who are at their wits end who don't know where to turn so they're coming to us to ask for help and who they can maybe speak to they're not getting answers from the ticket office on emails they're having to chase poor chris waters it's not even his job He's the supporter liaison guy, and he's like running around sorting ticketing issues for everybody, including me. I mean, I bought a ticket for the Sheffield United game by accident. I was meant to buy one for the Stoke game, and I was asked to contact the ticket office, and it's been over a week and a half since I did. I've emailed them multiple times, and now to be told, basically, you're not going to get a reply. Like When I've chased this through, I'll not name who, but I've spoken to people at the club, and they're like... Sorry, but I don't think you're going to get a reply from the ticket office. And I just think I find stuff like that mental. There was massive queues in the days leading up to the game at the ticket office. One of my friends, his dad, stood in the queue on Thursday to try and buy a ticket for the game on Saturday. After an hour, he'd only moved 10 yards, so he gave up. He then asked me, mate, to try and buy a ticket for him online. He said it was almost impossible to do using the e ticket inside because you can't zoom in on the seats properly on a smartphone. <laughs> queues before the game round the block from people who still haven't got their season cards to get in the ground, from people who wanted to, to, to buy tickets for the game and couldn't. I mean, this is a real, real problem, isn't it, Martin? And it's getting the point now where the likes of ourselves, we, ha- we have to start speaking up on behalf of fans who aren't being, they aren't being given the best experience. I'm on about basic experience. They're not even... If you, can't, if you can buy a season card three, four months ago, 
and you, you still haven't received it. That's just highlighting the, the, the problems we're, we've got here at the club with, with ticketing customer service and it seems staffing levels, doesn't it? Like, why have oh, we got a support liaison guy running around dealing with all of this? It's everything, isn't it? I think we've been quite fulsome in our praise of what's gone on since Kira Louis-Dreyfus came in on the football side. We've got good structures in place, all that sort of stuff. We're doing things right on the football side. Off the field, and I think, you know, you talked a lot about ticketing there, Gav. It's much wider than that. Like, pretty much everything oh, yes. off the yeah. field is an absolute shambles. Like, you look at the club shop, you look at the ticket office, you look at everything going on around you, know, the, the state of the stadium, like, everything that's going on off the field is just pathetic. And it's the most frustrating thing because all of that stuff is the stuff in a football club that's easy to solve. There's actually just a way of doing it. You haven't got agents to deal with. You haven't got training. You haven't got players' egos to deal with. This is all really straightforward stuff. It's getting the right number of people, getting the right things going on, and actually giving the toss and caring about your, your, your supporters in this case. And you know, it's, it's absolute business 101. Get those things right first because yeah. everything else builds from it. And you know, we've, as you say, we've got so many letters coming into the site. And it's it's all so frustrating. Your blood boils when you're reading stuff because you know we've had a, a granddad who's wanting to buy a ticket for his um, his grandson, couldn't get a ticket for for Sunderland for his grandson, stood in the queues for ages, gave up because he wasn't moving. And his his son, or it must be his um, daughter's husband, a, a mag, so he's going to take the lad to, to Newcastle. And whatever's going on down down the road, like whether we like it or not, Newcastle is going to become a bigger and bigger and bigger attraction to people who are, could go one way or the other. And we've we've got to be getting absolutely everything spot on off the field to give ourselves a chance of actually having thirty, forty thousand people turn up in ten years' time. Because at the minute, we're going to be turning people away, losing them, and once they're gone, they're gone. And like Steve Davison came in as chief operating officer when Kira Louis Dreyfus came in, and look, we we don't know the ins and outs. We've never spoken to him. We don't know exactly what he's doing. But like from the outside looking in, that's his job. And from the outside looking in, he's not doing it well. No, I, I couldn't I couldn't disagree with any of that. I think it is time to start naming names and calling people out directly on this stuff. And the problem is, is that. The only communication we actually get on any of this stuff is from the minutes of the meetings that the supporter groups have had. And that even that, they're just minutes. That's not, you know, an actual transcript of the conversations word by word or anything, the meeting minutes. And yeah. that's the only way they can be held accountable. And they might turn around and say, well, we're obliged to do this, whatever, twice a season um, through the FL. I think that's that's now the, the rule, isn't it, for clubs to meet with fan groups. So. By their standards, they might be thinking, you know, we're doing we're doing exactly as we are obliged to, but I don't think communications anywhere near good enough. Steve Davison has to be more front and centre. We need to see more of him, and we need him coming out and holding his hands up and going, "Look, yeah, we're getting some things wrong." It was a it was funny. It was over a year ago. He did an interview with the club website. Someone dug it out, didn't they, last week? Um, an interview with the club website where he said, "We know we're getting things wrong. We know our customer service hasn't been good enough." And we're going to try and improve it. That was a year ago. It's actually it's worse. worse. <laughs> it's got much worse. I don't worse. see any improvement. No, and no improvement at all. People might say you, you can't lump it all on him. Yeah, we've got owners. We've got a board of directors who are largely based outside the northeast, so they're not seeing these problems. And and he's pretty much the guy on the on the floor running the ship. But he needs to be going back to them and saying we have a serious problem here. This isn't just a bunch of fans on a podcast moaning. There is a wide problem here. I'm only talking about a fraction of the people who are coming to us, sending in emails, sending us messages on social media. I've had hundreds over the last few weeks. God knows how many Chris Waters has had at the club. And we're only seeing a a tiny fraction of the problem, and it's a massive problem. And as far as I can tell, nothing's being done to address it. We're going into the, you know, the Coventry game should have been enough of a sign to whoever's making these decisions, Davidson and the rest of them, the, the, the farce it was of uh, at the ticket office and the club shops and, and the lead up to the game and all the rest of it, they should have went away from that and went, right, we've now seen the scale of the issue. We need to really address this quickly because we've got a bunch of home games coming up and we're going to have the same problems at every game. 
And like I go yeah. back to it, the fact that we've got fans who still don't have a season card and they're being asked to digitally print tickets to get into the game after oh, two home games, how how is that? So it's it's not good enough. And like you say, Martin, you've just talked about the mags there, right? I'll quickly finish up on this before I let it back in. The mags there, when they sent the season cards out to fans, it came in a nice box with um goodies and this, that and the other, and and like to me that means nothing, right? But you're on about kids. Kids would love that. Kids, oh, there's a box turned up and there's a scarf in it and a and a pen and all this, that and the other. And oh, I've got me like bit merchandise and all that. And and they all got the cards before the season started and there was no ticketing issues. Sunderland, it's like a, a two-bit operation. Yeah. And you you bang on to bring that up, and it's something we don't talk about enough. Is that I live in South Tyneside, where I'm from, it's half and half. Kids have a choice, you know. I didn't have a choice because my dad was a Sunderland fan, but a lot <laughs> of kids do have a choice in where they go. Yeah. And we can't, for any even a day longer, make it so difficult for these people to bring to bring their kids to games, to bring their grandkids to games, because we're losing fans as a result of just rank incompetence. Uh, we're, we're going to struggle to compete with them on the field in terms of football attraction. So we've got to be doing things far better than they are in the community yeah, yeah. with our supporters, with young kids. Um, and it's got to say, it's got to start now. And look, I, I'm speaking about some of this with a bit of knowledge because I've, I've worked in on this stuff in sport before. And it's easy to get right. It's so easy to get right. And you're getting, as you say, getting the um, supporter packs out with, Bit, you know, little bits of merchandise in for the kids. It makes a huge difference. It's so, so important. Getting, you know, yeah. no, no queues, as, or as few queues as can be when people want to go and buy tickets. Um, you know, we've talked about the club shop. Strips, I know there's a, a global issue with supply chains and things holding up strips coming into the country, but, you know, the quality of our shirts is crap. And it yeah. has been for a few seasons now. And you know, there's all this stuff like the marketing of the um, the club selling season tickets just was non-existent after the playoff final. There was such a momentum that we should have harnessed, and there was nothing bloody happening. And you know, there's all of this sort of stuff. And just to give you a little example from um, from me, you know, I've obviously live overseas. I paid me money for the international streaming pass, hundred and forty quid, whatever it was. A couple of days later, they said, oh, your, your pass has been cancelled. Your money will be refunded. You'll have to buy it again. Now, I can't even bloody give me money to the club without them sending it back. And I got 10 quid less when they send it back, right? So I'm going, you know what? It's an absolute joke. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, I don't know what the hell was going on there. But again, it's just a small example. All of these little cases and all of these little incidents that speaks volumes about the the quality of stuff going on off the field, the quality of the people, the number of people. You know, we're obviously seriously short-staffed. And, you know, it is, like, ultimately it is Steve Davison's job to get this right. And if he hasn't got the resources, he should be kicking up a fuss about it and getting them because we cannot afford to let this go on for much longer at all, can we? We touched on this on the Friday night uh, Twitter space briefly, um, but obviously now we've got a bit more time. And, you know, I think the points that you've both made there are absolutely bang on. And from my point of view, what I would say is, in my opinion... The Monday morning after that playoff final, the board of directors, the power brokers at the club should have been in the boardroom at half nine, having a meeting saying, right, promotion has been secured. We are now going to work our backsides off to make sure that this football club is fully ready for the championship in terms of customer service, fan engagement. We're going to reach out to people. We're going to try and get disaffected supporters back. We're going to give them something to get excited about again. And I'm afraid to say that that didn't happen. There was no marketing push. There was no real exploiting, if you like, of the good feeling that came with that playoff victory. Wait, there was there were gaps there that were crying out to be filmed. You know, I mean, and the thing is, the till-the-end marketing that they used in the playoff semis was fantastic. That was brilliant. They should have kept up with that all through the summer. And I think, you know, points you made there about, about getting the kids engaged again, absolutely spot on. We need to secure the next generation of Sunderland supporters because, as Martin said, Newcastle are oil rich now. We can question the morals of that, but they've got a lot of money to play with. And they're going to keep investing. And there is a chance that kids are going to go down that route. I hope it doesn't, but it might happen. The club has to work harder to put the fans front and centre to make sure that they are valued, that they feel respected, and that they feel as if they're part of something. And it's easy for a fanzine such as us to be accused of mourning for the sake of it or trying to create problems where none exist. I completely disagree with that. We will praise, and we have praised, 
where it's been good. We've praised Speakman for the football uh, improvements. We've praised Alex Neal for what he's done. We've praised Dreyfus. But where there are problems, it's important that we criticise. And I think it's fair that we do so as well. So, yeah, I think that the, the, the you know our fan letters at the moment are following a depressingly predictable pattern because it's the same topic week in and week out. Problems with ticketing, problems with customer service, etc., etc. The club needs to work harder to fix it. And promotion was not a magic bullet to cure that. Promotion helped, but you've got to put the effort in and you've got to invest and you've got to put the infrastructure in place. So, yeah, I think much work needs to be done. And I think it's right that people are held to account. And data plays a part, as Steve Davison has said, but a club like Sunderland needs to be powered by emotion, fan engagement, excitement, optimism. And they're not working hard enough on that, in my opinion. And they need to do so because it's the only way that the potential of this football club is going to be harnessed in the future. You know, as as a football club, you know, Sunderland's not necessarily unique in, in this regard, but it's got to be an integral part of the community. And that's a, a two-way street, right? And you've yeah. got to be involved in, in the community. You've got to play a part. And you've ultimately, you've got to make it easy for people to support you. And at the minute, Sunderland is making it really, really hard for a lot of people to come and support the football club. Yeah, well, since we... Since we started recording this podcast, I've had five emails from people complaining. <laughs> Just five. Surprise, surprise. I'll yeah. read one out. I'll read one out now. We're not making this up. We have loads of them. This is from Jean. I purchased tickets for the Stoke game on the 1st of August. Got confirmation that I would be sent tickets via email. They took the money out of my bank account the day later, but I still not received my tickets. I went over at the ticket office on the 12th of August, where I had to wait one and a half hours just to be told they were in the process of being sent out. I've ordered tickets before online, had no problem with tickets arriving a day uh, r- arriving a day after ordering them, so I am really worried about not receiving these tickets before the store came. I've tried to email the club before, but without success, so I think would be wasting my time in doing so. I, I, like, that's one person, right? We've got, we've had, yeah. I'm not kidding, we've had hundreds of emails the last couple of weeks. And anybody listening to this, if you've had problems, are you still dealing with problems, email us. Keep, keep putting them our way. We'll keep publishing them on the website. We'll keep Drum making up a fuss about this until it gets dealt with properly because the amount of people Absolutely. who are being let down is ridiculous. And I, it does sort of, it does rankle, Phil, you said it there about people may think you might be kicking up a fuss over and out, but it's not an out. This is, this people just want to support the club. It's fundamental stuff. It's fundamental it is, stuff and it's, at the heart of any football club. The more, the more I read about it, the more I say these problems, the more pisses us off. And I can't believe nothing, nothing more is being done about it. To be no. honest, and a common ref- a common refrain on Twitter at the moment is we've got to start thinking like a big club again. Big clubs don't allow their fans to go three or four months without receiving their season cards. Big clubs don't make their fans for like expendable commodities. If you want to go and support another club, fine. We're not going to make any effort to keep you on board. It's ridiculous, Gavin. I think it's very important that we keep banging the drum. The frustrating thing is, it's so easily fixed. Like, yeah, that's absolutely. the thing that I keep coming back to. It's not rocket science. It's not something that's never been done before. The vast majority of football clubs across the world, the sports clubs across the world, get this right. There's proven systems to to do it, and it's not hard. We're not trying to bloody create a space rocket to fly at the moon. We're trying to sell tickets to go to bloody football matches. Yeah. It's easy. Yeah, and it's, it's so it's crazy. I'm gonna I'm gonna read another one. This is quite long, so I might not get it all in. But this is from Paula. She emailed us. What time's it now? Half an hour ago. She says, so I purchased mine and my dad's season card straight after the Wembley win. She received hers two weeks before the Coventry game, but her dad's didn't arrive. Bear in mind, I paid for them both at the same time on a card. A uh, week before, she tried to contact the club, couldn't get in touch with anybody. Um, they assured her eventually when she did speak to someone that, that she would receive it. Uh, two two days before the game, nothing turned up, so she emailed the ticket office again. As it's the only way of getting hold of someone, they said they would send an e-ticket out. Um, she said luckily I'm clued up on this my dad is 71 he doesn't own a computer device or a smartphone or have an email address or have a phone that can access such things again before the QPR game he still hasn't received his card by the way so this is weeks later again after raising it multiple times and getting correspondence back from the ticket office she said eventually they got it two days later or they'd get it two days later so she thought great I thought at last and then they went to the game the QPR game a dad tried getting into the ground and the card wouldn't work. So they were told to go to turnstiles 9 and 10, which they did. Um, a dad did, sorry, she went into the ground, kickoff came. She hadn't seen her dad, so she set off to look for him, searched all over, couldn't find him. She said, I was starting to panic at this point, as he needs to be with us, he's quite old. She was told to go back to her seat. Eventually, 
at three forty after not hearing or seeing from her dad, she gets a phone call from her mum. Her dad was with a mum. He got to the turnstiles at nine and ten, and they wouldn't let him in. He was told to go to the ticket office, which he did with along along with two hundred and fifty other fans who were being treated the same. Her dad said there was one person in the ticket office, and the queue was ridiculous. He gave up as it was a bad job, and he left and went back home. 65 years my dad has supported Sun Football Club. We live in Pontefract in West Yorkshire, so a home game is a 100-mile journey. I run the West Yorkshire branch, and I have to say that the ticket office is now a standing joke. In fact, the whole club is. We are a championship side with the, with conference facilities and infrastructure. That's yeah. another, again, another yeah. story. That, and that's that's terrible, isn't it? I'm, I'm, it's just not on. We're not make, like I say to people, we're not making this up. And it's, it doesn't feel like it's being addressed at all. No. And look, we, we've not. say we've we've praised where praise is due, and you know, this is just it's just not acceptable, is it? It's absolutely no. pathetic. And you know, regardless yeah. whether you come you know from around the corner opposite the stadium, like or you've come from Pontefract or or you've travelled up from from London, like if you want to get in the game, you got a ticket for the game. It's 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 absolutely scandalous, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But we're getting tons of these. We're getting so bloody many, and it's not a one-off. You know, it's absolutely no. not one-off. And I tell you what, if you want to look at data, just look at the amount of bloody emails that we're getting with problems because I know. you can spot a pattern. These are just the ones we're getting. These are people who are coming oh, to right. us to vent frustrations. How many emails are being pinged to the ticket office? How many issues are going to Chris Waters? Oh, we'll probably see one percent of what's going on. Yeah, it's crazy, and it's not good enough, and it needs sorting. Anybody listening to this who's in a position to to sort this out, you need to start doing your job because it's making us look ridiculous. We look pathetic, actually, Sunderland. All the stuff we're getting right on the pitch. Fans turned up in their droves. The, the displays, again, look brilliant. Every, you're in the ground, it looks great. But then you hear about stories like this. A 71-year-old guy who's come 100-odd miles to come watch the game. Only to, This is after weeks of waiting for his season card. Only to receive it and it doesn't let him in the ground. And nobody wants to help him because there's... Let's let's be honest. The people who are at sort of turn cells nine and ten, they're in the ticket office. They that's a thankless task as well. They know that they're being stretched, stretched yeah, beyond their yeah, means. They've been hung out dry, aren't they? It's yeah. So it's not them that we're having a go at. It's the people further up the food chain who are putting all of this pressure on staff who are probably lowly paid. I think we received what I'll, obviously I'll not name who who it was, but we received an email from a member of staff who told us they've not received. Um, a normal pay rise in, in years at the club. So these are people who aren't even being paid fairly in some cases, being made to deal with other people's incompetence, and it's crap. And we've got three home games in the next month, and it needs to be sorted out because we can't yeah, have absolutely. we can't keep. I don't want to sit here and complain about this stuff, but fact is, a lot of people feel voiceless and helpless, and they've come to us because they know that they're, they're going to have their their issues aired at least. So anybody, like I say, who's listened to this and you've had problems, let us know because we'll keep putting them out there until it becomes, they can't ignore it anymore. They've got to start acting. Yeah. And we need to have proper guidance or at least clarity from people like Steve Davison to say, why is this happening? Why aren't you addressing it properly? If if it's a case of, you know, we, 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 literally, we don't want to employ all the extra staff because it's money. You know that we could be using other areas of the club. I think I think it's got the point now where that's unacceptable. Get it's very simple, like you say, Martin. Get some ticket office staff in. Get more stewards in. More people who can deal with customer queries. More people who answer emails from the ticket office. I think they said they were going to start opening the phone lines now. <laughs> um, I don't know how that's gone, but this is all just mad. And I I don't really like whinging about it. But there we go. We've had to I had to bring that up because. It's become un- unignorable for us the amount of people who've well, been getting is. in touch with us. It's just a complete Absolutely. lack of lack of care across yeah. the whole thing, isn't yeah. it? Like it's just not bothered. And as Phil said earlier, you know, you're just treating people. You know, in football, a football club is such a different business to anything else. You know, you got people who are emotionally invested in, in it. You know, you got people who love the football club, who care deeply about the football club. You know, people who. Who, who, you know, the, the actions of the football club, whether it's on the field or off the field, reflect on them personally as well. You know, yeah. people carry, and you, you get pissed off or you get delighted about what's going on. And, you know, we, we've we just got to do better, but there's got to be a culture of care that runs throughout the club. You know, back when I started supporting Sunderland in the 80s, we were called the Caring Club. It was on the front of everything, it was printed on everything. We were the Caring Club. That was our our approach to things. And somewhere somewhere along the line, we've we've completely lost that. 
and we need to find it again because otherwise, as you say, in five years' time, ten years' time, places that used to be 50-50, it'll be 70 30 80 20 90 yeah. 10 and you know this is and you've you've got all of these incidents right which are you know micro incidents one this happened one day this happened to one person this is going to build and build and the cumulative effect that this is going to have if it's not resolved quickly could be catastrophic for the football club yeah well it's it's a shame to end on such a sour note but yeah like I said we've got to bring these issues up there is another game this week we've got Sheffield United away we'll be reacting to that in the aftermath with the podcast, but you'll also have everything building up the game falling out from the QPR match on RoteReport.com as well. So make sure you check in every morning, six o'clock, when all our new content drops. Friday Night Lives have started again, so me and Phil, depending on who's available, we'll be doing those most weeks over on Twitter. It's basically a live podcast where you can actually join in if you want. You can request to speak, you can send your comments, etc., etc. And they're really good fun. Um, and they happen live every Friday from 7.30 over on the Rote Report. Twitter page um, on the site if you go to rotereport.espionation.com uh, at the bottom now you'll see a little prompt on the screen asking you to sign up to a newsletter it's just a daily sort of bulletin of all the content that has dropped that day straight into your email box um, you can receive that so sign up there and we've also got our new Sunderland Women podcast hosted by Rich Spate uh, the team over there covering all of the SFC women games this season all the reaction interviews with former players and journalists and stuff and opposition fans. If you're a new fan of the ladies' team, then make sure that you uh, head across and subscribe to that because it's on a totally different podcast feed. They've got their own social media channels and stuff. So if you just search for our, our lasses, you'll find that. And yeah, we've uh, we've got lots coming up this week with plenty of football and plenty of action. So make sure you join us then. We'll catch you later. Cheers. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.